everyone, and welcome to Mixed DNA, the podcast where two girls talk about anything and everything, and we're also mixed. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Melissa. Each week, we pick a topic, do some research, throw in our own opinions and experiences where necessary, and share what we've come up with with all of you. Today's episode is about art, one of my favorite things. I love how artists can express themselves through painting and other kinds of mediums. Out of the seven forms of art, which are painting, sculpture, literature, architect, cinema, music, and theater, we wanted to, well, we want to explore all art, but for today's episode, we chose painting. And some are drawing photographs, but mainly painting. I wouldn't say I'm anything close to like an art connoisseur or anything like that. And I'm definitely not an artist in any sense of the word. But I appreciate when art visually speaks to me in a sense, like all the yummy food we spoke about last episode. If it's appealing to the eyes at first, you feel it in your soul. And that's what I like about art, paintings especially. I think it's very captivating to think about why someone painted or drew a specific something, what they were thinking about or what was happening to them at the time. Someone could have been really happy when they created something. But when I look at it, maybe it makes me sad. I like the nuance that the creativeness of painting or drawing can bring. I agree. I love art and I think it can be extremely powerful. Sometimes it's hard to find the words to describe the feeling you're feeling and painting can help you express that. There can be so many emotions put in a painting. I know most most art can be interpreted differently, which is another most beautiful part of it. You can see things that relate to you in life or feel how the person feels or felt in the painting. Emotions can be expressed through colors or the way the artist chooses the brushstrokes, for example. I love a beautiful painting and I love that what can be beautiful to me might not be for someone else. We would firstly like to explore the themes of art. The theme of art is regarding the meaning behind the artist's painting rather than the subject of the painting. The theme an artist chooses is deeper and can convey a different reaction from those who view it. The mood would be the atmosphere or feeling expressed in the painting. When I was in high school, I had a poster of Salvador Dali's The Persistence of Memory hanging in my bedroom. I knew even less about art than I do now, but I just really liked the strangeness of the work. The melting clocks really spoke to me, and they still do, even after all this time. Dali was a surrealist artist whose aim it is to revolutionize human experience, finding magic and beauty in the unexpected. With that definition in mind, I just may be the type of surrealist of myself. Dali, like many other artists, looks to dreams for inspiration. He used the micro nap during the day to help his creative side. Dali always claimed that he didn't know the meaning to the persistence of memory, though many scholars, uh, since the, pu- the painting became public in 1931, believe and make sense that it's about time, melting clocks and all. I love Dali as well. Didn't he take drugs to get some of those ideas? Or was it just naps? I don't know. Those are pretty crazy ideas. Um, I have been to a few museums and galleries, quite a few, I guess. Okay, so everywhere I've traveled, I made it a note to go to all the museums and galleries that I knew of. So uh, when I was in Sweden, I went to a bunch there. Um, I went to a video game one. It was like this really small. Yeah, it was like in a residential area. It was really, really cool. So I enjoyed that one. And when we were in Greece, of course, you have to go um, to the museums there in Athens. That was unbelievable. 
yeah, so I guess I've been to my fair share. Um, but I would say my most favorite uh, would be anything from the beginning of year 100 to the late 1800s. And there was a lot of those paintings in Sweden. Amazing. So some examples of themes and paintings that we're going to touch on today uh, would be conflict and adversity, freedom and social change, heroes, leaders, and identity, and so on. So we'll be touching on some of those themes in this episode. Though there are many artists we wanted to showcase, those who are of mixed race or those who use race in their paintings. These kinds of artists were harder to find for the most part hundreds of years ago. Interracial relationships were frowned upon and more frowned upon if a baby came of it. On artsy.net, I found an article about 18th century paintings that depict interracial Mexican families. At first, I was like, oh, cool. This is like right up our alley. But apparently the paintings are based on a lie. In what was then New Spain, Mexico was inhabited by Amerindians, Spaniards, and Africans who were brought over as slaves. Due to social anxiety, the Spaniards began commissioning paintings depicting racial mixing or miscegenation, which Vanessa will explain in a bit. These paintings were known as casta paintings. The casta paintings were far from the truth and were informed by deep prejudices. Casta is the Spanish word for caste. This referred to Mexico's mixed-race people. The paintings would come in sets depicting family life, and in some, we see albino children from mixed women. The painting would be inscribed with the word morisca, someone from Spanish and African ancestry, linking albinism to those of African descent. That's just one example from over 2,000 known casta paintings that were made during the 18th century. Funnily enough, the idea of a caste system was first developed by a mixed person, a Polish mix with Venezuelan philologist, Angel Rosenblatt, and Mexican anthropologist, Gonzalo Aguirre Beltran in the 1940s. They were both authors that made the notion that racial status was a key principle of Spanish colonial rule popular. However, recent academic studies in Latin America have widely changed this notion. It was considered flawed and ideologically based on a reinterpretation of the colonial period. The casta painting seemed like they might have been an attempt to fix place for different races rather than put a rigid division solely based on race. I came across an article on JSTOR.com regarding miscegenation. For those who don't know, miscegenation is the interbreeding of people who are considered to be members of different races. It's derived from a combination of the Latin terms miser, misere, to mix, and genus, which is race. The term came, oops, the term came to be associated with laws that banned interracial marriage and sex, which were known as anti miscegenation law. This term was framed as a preservation of so-called racial purity. Less loaded terms for multi-ethnic racial, less loaded terms for multi-ethnic relationships such as interracial or inter-ethnic marriages and mixed race or multi-ethnic children are more common in contemporary usage. This description is definitely upsetting. It's almost like we're an abomination we came from something that was never supposed to be in the first place. It's very sad. The article is called Optical Illusion in reference to art, which we, the article is called Optical Illusion in reference to art, which we will share on our socials. Uh, 
It talks about how race is viewed and how it is something that can only be visual. If you have more black features, then you are black. More white features, then you are white, and so on. Thoughts. Oh, God, what are my thoughts? Um... <laughs> Um, I think like exactly what you said is very relevant even today when, especially for mixed race people that have, and you hear a lot of mixed race people say that they have a hard time fitting into like a box that they're supposed to be in. Like, like, oh, I'm half Portuguese and Chinese, but you know, Chinese people don't see me as Chinese and Portuguese people don't see me as Portuguese um kind of like along the same lines and i totally understand that um it is right, kind of like kind well, of like being gonna... an abomination yeah uh, well i was just gonna say if you're chinese and portuguese for chinese people you're not chinese enough for portuguese people you're not portuguese enough but to everyone you look chinese so that's what you are it's kind of like can't win you can't lose stressful yeah exactly um, so like we said, it was quite difficult to find many paintings with interracial people in them or even people of different races interacting as a community. However, in the early 19th century, there was a lot of photos taken of interracial marriages as well as families. We'll share this link because the pictures are beautiful. Not shocking that back then interracial was anything prohibited, even after the abolition of slavery in 1865. Anti-miscegenation laws were enacted which criminalized sexual relations and cohabitations between whites and non-whites. So even though all over the world at various times there were different anti-miscegenation laws, you know, there were always there were always going to be people that just loved each other. Um, and I think it's very unfortunate that people back then had to go through the hardships that they had to go through. And I know in some countries, even though nowadays it's probably more religion than, than race, but um, I mean, some places probably still race. Um, it's hard to think of. And then, I mean, we have the lovings in the U.S., which maybe we can talk about, which we should definitely talk about one day. Um, that kind of changed things, at least over on this side of the world or in the States, at least. Um, I don't know. It, it's sad. I agree. I hate that this was a thing. People are just so crazy. You can't help who you love. And something like the color of your skin has nothing over your character. One of the photos I wanted to talk about in this series uh, is a picture of, or sorry, a photograph of Charles Meehan, who was a white Irish man and who was born in Canada. A family historian said for Charles, it was just the natural thing to marry this woman who racially wasn't the same as him, but in every other way was the love of his life. So his wife is black. Charles and Hester were born in 1856, three months apart. They were married in Canada, where interracial marriage was legal, though frowned upon. Shocking. Anyway, it's nice to know that Canada was somewhat more understanding than the States, which is not hard. There are some other really brave stories on that, on the, on the link that we're going to share, and much more beautiful photographs. So hopefully you guys can go check it out uh, after we post it. So now we wanted to focus on some current artists who are creating art from a mixed, mixed point of view. 
Leslie Barlow is a mixed-race painter from Minneapolis. Her father is black and her mother is white. The first interracial couple she painted were her parents. She said when looking at art, she's never seen a family like hers. Barlow created the works while trying to make sense of the election of Donald Trump between marches in Minneapolis and Washington, D.C., while listening to audiobooks about race. She chose to focus on love while painting couples and families. Barlow said, us coming together, healing and love can be just as powerful as going out and kicking ass and protesting Trump. Her exhibition was backed by a Minnesota State Arts Board grant. It was her most ambitious, displaying her use of vibrant colors, especially in skin tones, and drawing on themes of race and identity that a while ago she was hesitant to explore and share. I just realized I have so many short sentences. That's why it's hard to read. It's like, sorry. Okay. She said she was nervous to have her race become a part of her work because she didn't have the language needed to talk about it. Another reason she didn't explore her mixed race was because at the University of Wisconsin-Stout, she had never had a mixed race or person of color as a teacher. At her school, there was a couple Black artists that she thought would expect her to make her art about race, but instead she chose to make her art about gender. In 2013, there was a commercial of a mixed race family, a Black father and a white mother, talking about Cheerios <laughs> and if they're good for you. So the daughter asked the the father if the Cheerios were good for her. Anyways, and the commercial ended with the word love. Instead of getting positive re reviews, since it's a representation of many families, it received a lot of backlash online. Shocking. But this inspired her to represent race and her family in her art and began with her quote-unquote other slash identity series. In her painting named Three Black Girls from 2013, it portrays three women sitting together and staring back at the, at the viewer. She painted herself and two other Black women with their faces painted in beautiful, rich tones. Barlow is on the right of the canvas and is flecked in gold. We will leave a link of her artwork on her socials. It's a lovely painting. It's very, it's kind of amazing that it is a painting because it looks like it could be a photograph. Like that's amazing skill. Um, and I like that, you know, each girl is a different skin tone. They're all very beautiful. They're all very serious. Um, you know, you're kind of like wondering like what they're, what they're thinking, who's taking their picture. It's interesting. Or what they're sitting and looking at. Uh, Barlow says that she likes to play with color and letting people and objects reflect the hues and colors around them. She applies the same technique to the skin tone of her subjects and tries to stay away from the traditional browns and peaches that are usually painted for human skin. She also wanted the colors of everything around them to reflect on her subject's skin as they would in real life. So similar to what we talked about um, with the movies the, in the Disney episode of the movie Soul and how light, how they wanted to stay true to black and brown skin and making sure that light was reflected on it properly. I mean, it's not something I ever really thought about, but since we've mentioned it in movies and now we're mentioning it in the art form of painting, um, obviously that's a very real concern for people with black and brown skin. Um, it's good to know that, you know, people, people take that sort of thing into consideration and cause it's definitely not something I ever would have thought of, but good to know and good to, for the realism of it. Yeah, I never would have thought of that either. You don't think of your skin reflecting, I don't know, 
a red painted wall differently than a white person, but it definitely does. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite paintings of hers uh, while researching her is a family snuggling together on a bed. So it's uh, mother and father uh, hugging their daughter. So they, and they are visibly mixed and just, she captured a, such a beautiful moment of a family. And there was a girl, her name is Alyssa Paris, she met, uh, who she met on a mixed race discussion group who actually cried the first time she saw this painting of a family because it reminded her of her life. Her mother is half Puerto Rican and part German while her father is mostly African-American. She said, there for my grandchildren to see and there for me to reflect on. Paris said that Barlow's work is fine art as well as it is oral, an oral history. It's allowing mixed people to tell their stories and inviting us mixed people to be a part of history by sharing who we are and where we come from. The next artist we're gonna look at is someone I really love. Her paintings are beautiful and thought provoking. Her name is Amy Sherald and she is a Baltimore based artist. She is the winner of the National Portrait Gallery's 2016 Outwin Bouchefer Portrait Competition. Her winning portrait is called Miss Everything. It is a painting of a young black girl dressed quite fancy holding a teacup. The colors are very bold, but minimal. There's something, it's definitely something that has to be seen because I don't think I'm doing it justice by just describing it and we'll definitely be posting a link to it. Um, in an interview on arts.com, she explained her inspiration behind the award-winning painting. She often walks up and down the street in her neighborhood looking for clothing and she came across a vintage store with a beautiful polka dot dress. She bought it and had it for six months before she found her subject, who is a friend, to wear the dress for her portrait. One of her friends gave her a collection of his aunt's fancy hats and choose one that would suit the outfit. The idea she had in mind was the alternate narratives from Alice in Wonderland, which is where the large teacup the girl is holding comes from. It's the representation of how the world sees you. It looks similar to when Alice is eating or drinking those things to make her smaller or bigger, depending on the situation she finds herself in. Maybe the cup is displaying that she is bigger or has more strength and not as delicate as other people might see her. Or she may be fancier and classier than people would think she could be. She does look like she can be from the 1930s or 40s, the way the painting looks. Thoughts on the painting? I like it. I like it. I like that it's... Like it's simple, simple, yet complex. Like there's a lot you can take with it. Like I love how there's only one red element. I love how the background is so, such a contrast to like the black and white dress. Um, I like the the delicateness of the way she's holding the cup, but I also like that the cup is is so big. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's cool. there's a lot a lot to take in with it. She also states that it came naturally for her to paint people with her likeness. Like they say, go with what you know first. While researching art, she never felt represented in history or even at all. She wanted to paint people how they are in the world because it's important to see works of art like this for society and culturally. For Black people, she said, self-narration isn't something they had the opportunity for. Her work represents social justice, and it's a job she loves to do, painting Americans how they really are doing everyday things. How she grew up and her experience as a Black woman in America 
she always felt that she was being watched as a person of color. How she grew up and her experience as a Black woman in America, she always felt she was being watched as a person of color. She always felt self-conscious about it. Whether or not people recognize you as different, some people make you feel different and recognize who you are inside of this space. She wanted her art to make people feel that they don't have to fall under a certain stereotype based on how you look or the circumstances of your environment, your parents, your friends, or the color of your skin. Art can be something that provides metaphors to whomever is viewing it. I'm not a black woman, so I can't relate to what she's saying in that respect. But as a mixed person, I can relate in in that there have been many instances where, I mean, it hasn't consumed me, but there are times when I like walk maybe in a particular neighborhood or down a specific street and I wonder like, do these people know that, like if I'm in Chinatown, it's like, do these people know that I'm Chinese? Or if I'm in Little Portugal, do these people know that I'm I'm Portuguese? Or if mm-hmm. I'm like in a very West Indian neighborhood, like do these people know that I'm West Indian? Like so, it's just being able to like find your your sense of belonging and being being comfortable where you are in places that obviously I do belong because I am of these ethnicities and these races. But um, there's always like a, a self awareness that you know, like maybe maybe people don't know. Or like maybe I'm supposed to be wearing a shirt that says, hey, I'm Chinese or hey, I'm West Indian. But, you know, hey, I'm all of these. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like that, too, based obviously on how I look. I know people never see me as mixed or maybe they do, but I've never experienced it. And I know definitely a lot of places in the city or surrounding cities, I would only be seen as Indian. If I went to Brampton, I'd be Indian. If I went downtown Scarborough or anywhere, I think I would be Indian. Indian always not that it's a bad thing but I mean I would like to be seen as mixed but I mean how can you really know visually if somebody's mixed so that's kind of hard but I do I do feel like I'm being watched or judged on the way that I'm acting if I'm I guess in an all Indian place for example like I should be doing like with the tattoos that I have kind of thing like are you Indian Indian people wouldn't have this not all Indian girls have sleeves of tattoos cheryl said success for me is staying true to who you are and not deviating off a path she said she didn't think she would get success from doing something comfortable she needed to get out of her comfort zone to be true to her art she has so many beautiful paintings on her site please go check it out when you can our next artist is of a different mix her name is sasha gordon and she is mixed with korean and polish not something you hear of every day. I've never heard of that mix, but it's definitely interesting. She's a New York-based artist who describes herself as being wrapped up in the idea of what it means to be Korean and Polish. Sasha goes into symbolism of her identity through her very realistic paintings and explains how being Korean and Polish was always a subject that was so strange to her because in her life, she always felt that she was being forced to choose one or the other. Like Melissa said earlier, it's almost like you're forced to choose one. Um, I know, I mean, I know how she feels, uh, but I think I've dealt with that feeling and I've, uh, I know how she feels, but I, I know I've dealt with that feeling having to choose, but I think in my case, it was to choose a culture because I'm mixed with lots of different things. Although I suppose I could choose all three. But I would say more culturally speaking, like my parents were both born in Jamaica. So it's like, why aren't you 
more Jamaican. Why don't you know about these Jamaican things? You know, but then I feel like if I acted like that, I would be told I was being fake, Jafakin kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't really, I can't really think of an instance where I felt like a specific race, any of the three, or culturally speaking. So that's why sometimes I kind of feel just floating around. I mean, I personally, I don't feel like any specific race. I culturally, yes, I feel West Indian. Um, but if I had to like pick like a specific race, as I've said before in the past, yeah, like I don't, I don't lean towards any one specific race. More of a culture, which I don't know if that's good or bad or whatever, but that's how I was raised. So that is who I am. Do you think we're like that because we were born in Canada and have backgrounds of culture? Like a a very culturally diverse background being West Indian. Yes, like if we were born in the States where it's more like of a a melting pot. I think so. You'd have to choose one there. I think so. They would go nuts. Yeah, okay. Which Well, which one would you choose? I guess the one more that you look like, so... I and guess it would choose. depend on, on the neighborhood you grow up in, right? Also, that, yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sasha grew up in a mostly white and conservative community and began to reclaim her identity when she went to school, which had a more diverse culture. She was surrounded by more people of East Asian ethnicity, so her art ventured into the concept of acceptance. But this acceptance was more directed at herself and how she wanted to accept herself how she is and know how much beauty people, mixed people, hold. I, as I said, like in past episodes, I've gotten more comfortable in accepting myself as I am, but certain things never phased me growing up. Like I didn't think like, oh, I'm different or I'm mixed. I was just like, whatever. That was just, I was who I was. Um, It didn't actually start to become, and I mean, it's never an issue, but to become apparent to me to be more specific about race until I was like well into my 20s. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. I never really, it never really got pointed out to me until I got older because I didn't notice, you know, when, because of where I lived, because my school had so many different races, you know, it's, I guess you could have pointed it out or somebody could have, but I never noticed. I just like friends having fun done. That was as far as my thought process went. And then going to high school is kind of the same thing. But as you got older, and I know I've said this in past episodes as well, just like, oh, where are you from? Canada. No, where are you really from? Kind of shit. And then it kind of makes you think more about yourself. So when you say that I'm Canadian, people don't want to accept that because that's not really anything, you know, kind of like saying I'm British or, you know, Jamaican, because that's not really something specific. So I guess it kind of, you know, sections off your races so to speak in a way of trying to figure out who you more relate to if you do of any I don't know like I went to a very white high school but like I never I mean I'm not white obviously but I never Mm -hmm. felt like I didn't belong or I was being ostracized or Mm -hmm. I was going without because I was different and I wasn't white, like the 
like the BIPOC population of my high school was literally like you could count the students on your hands. Like it was less than 10 to 15 people. Like it was very small in a school with, I don't know, say 1500 kids. There was literally 10 people maybe. Um, but I never felt, I don't know, never felt different. So no. I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it's good. Constantly feeling like an outcast. That's not that I'm saying that like trivially. I know people feel that a lot, but yeah, I never felt like a sore thumb kind of thing until I got older. Yes. Because yeah, it's like, you know, a lot of the people that I did hang out with were white, you know, like I said before, they were European and it was okay to be with them. But then when I go to the house, it was kind of like, not the more that old they treated old so school parent one? view. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they did it on purpose, but you could kind of feel the mood change when they came in. Not always. I did have some friends that they just treated me like any, anything else, but some of those parents you could feel when they came in and it was kind of like brown girl in my kitchen or brown girl with my child kind of thing. Yeah, I could, I could definitely feel it. And I dated a Polish guy in high school and we skipped around and we're so happy. Sorry, this one instant just popped into my head. He wanted to go to a club, but it was only a Polish club. I'm like, I can't go in there. I will literally be the only brown person. And he's all, I don't care. I like you so much. I want to bring you out. So I was like, okay, like I felt everyone stop and turn around. And it was suffocating. It suffocated me to the point where we had to leave. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. It was too overwhelming for me, but yeah. So that was a very hard moment for me to just kind of be like, so I'm brown. I don't care. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Sasha has some other elements to her paintings other than racial stereotypes. She has sexual stereotypes and specifically sexual stereotypes of Asian women. So Asian women always thought of as being submissive, weak, and quiet, which is not true, but those are some elements she adds to her paintings as well as elements of mental health. So regarding her psyche and her body images. Uh, And elements of mental health regarding her psyche and her body image. She finds... She finds painting cathartic as it does come from places where she felt the most vulnerable. So she's putting all her vulnerability in her paintings, which can be a sort of therapy. You know, she conveys these emotions in her paintings. For example, Um, there's a couple of her, I have to go back and look, but she does have imagery of a car accident and nudity. Um, which can definitely be triggering for some people. For sure. Her art is definitely surreal and has some Dali-esque components. Some of the characters seem to be situated on different planes or dimensions on the canvas. They're painted differently with carrying the proportions of being her feelings of disassociation and disillusionment out visually. She said, and I quote, it can be painful to revisit such moments for all the world to see, but her art allows her to learn more about who she is and what she could have been if she had dismissed her trauma. For her viewers, it can be very emotional and can stir intrigue and empathy for the sad-looking subject she paints. 
Hopefully for some, the experience can be enlightening. Her paintings are more dreamlike compositions and are very beautiful in the way it mimics other artists of surrealism, like my comparison of Dolly. They also invoke the emotion of looking at a candid portrait photograph. Sasha presents herself as an emerging artist that is certainly one to keep an eye on. Again, you can see her art from her website that we will definitely be sharing on our social accounts this week. Our last artist is Grace Stamps. So unfortunately, there wasn't as much information on her as I would like, but there was a small article on her just kind of scratching the surface of who she is and uh, her paintings. She is a multicultural artist who identifies as Black. She is mixed with African-American, Caucasian, and Native American backgrounds. She grew up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, in a predominantly white community. As the, other, as the other artists we have featured in this episode, Grace grew up with no one like her. So she describes it as liminal identity. For those who don't know, and I didn't either, so I had to look it up, liminal is abstract. Liminality defined as the state of being betwixt and between social roles and or identities. She said she has always identified as Black because growing up, that's all she was told. In America, if you have one ounce of Black, you are Black. There can be a lot of expectations on you depending on what side of the mix you choose to identify as. In her freshman year of college, she explored her identity and decided to write an essay about being gray, which was a phrase she used explaining how she felt about belonging to two cultures. I really like how she chose gray to represent herself. I think it's really smart and shows that she can belong equally to both and be, be her own person. I kind of like that she calls it gray, but I mean, being gray can just be like being mixed, right? Um, yeah. The way I see it, but yeah. Nice change of terminology. Stamps used a lot of color to bring forth vibrancy and energy to embody the specific culture she paints as her subject or scene. When painting herself in gray, she is showing that she doesn't identify with everything the image of culture represents. Here's what she defines on her art page about her collection of gray to represent. I'll read half and Vanessa will read the other as it is quite long. As a multiracial woman, I find it difficult to relate to any singular culture. Though I participate within both white and black American communities, my personal involvement has often been contradictory or inharmonious. I'm neither black enough nor white enough. I am unable to fully connect with or emulate key characteristics of either black or white culture. Thus, I have always felt suspended between the two, belonging to neither. I have turned to painting to explore and in effect create my own cultural and racial identity. By taking popular visual media that deals with black or white American culture, I dismantle the imagery through formal conventions, line, color, composition, etc., to literally deconstruct my identity. The vibrant colors in my paintings reflect the energetic behaviors, beliefs, and actions of the cultural group in question while I am presented as a gray figure. My human paintings, or lack thereof, is a visual representation of identifying as black and white, black plus white equals gray, and falling in between two cultures in a gray zone. In addition, the lack of vibrancy in my skin further emphasizes my inability to assimilate with or reflect the vibrant cultures surrounding me. At times, my assimilation 
may appear forced or voluntary, violent or passive, recognizable or foreign. I think she describes this perfectly. I can definitely to relate to how she feels and how hard it can feel at some moments. She also has a website about herself and all things that she likes. It's called The Keen Kind. Uh, you guys can check that out as well. I like what she has to say about the whole gray thing, just like what we've said countless episodes about neither being here nor there, even though you are here and you are there. So, yeah, um, I like the whole gray being gray. She does have other collections on her site, as you will see when you go there, but uh, gray is my favorite. There's another link we wanted to share from the arts and culture section of portcitydaily.com. It's an article that talks about the Lumina Festival exhibit that is two art shows that tackle issues of race and unity. There's a lot of mixed media used in the exhibit. Please check that out as well. And thank you for joining us in our conversation about painting. These artists are amazing and we can't wait to see more upcoming artists who are of mixed race and proud to show us who they are. Yes, and how beautiful we are. Thanks again, everyone. Bye.